0: hi and welcome back to a book of mormon podcast this is going to be a discussion about alma chapter 11 so we've been reading about alma and Amulek preaching to the people of ammonihah and zeezrom now going to get involved here and uh he's going to try to bribe them oops another spoiler alert sorry about that uh and uh they're going to catch him in his words here and then uh we'll see what happens okay Chapter 11 verse 1. Now it was, in the, it was in the law of Mosiah that every man who was a judge of the law or those who were appointed to be judges should receive wages according to the time which they labored to judge those who were brought before them to be judged. So they were they used an hourly wage to, to judge how much they would get paid. Now if a man owed another and he would not pay that which he did owe, he was complained of of to the judge, and the judge executed authority and sent forth officers that the man should be brought before him, and he judged the man according to the law and the evidences which were brought against him, and thus the man was compelled to pay that which he owed, or be stripped or be cast out from among the people as a thief and a robber. So if the lawyers can stir up more business, then that generates more income to them. So you can see the the pattern here that's going on. And the judge received for his wages, according to his time, a senine of gold for a day, or a senum of silver, which is equal to a senine of gold. And this is according to the law which was given. So do you care about the uh, currency here? Well, there is some significance to this, and I'll tell you in a minute what, it, what Hugh Nibley says about it. Because it is kind of an interesting. Now these are the names of the different pieces of their gold and of their silver, according to their value. And the names are given by the Nephites, for they did not reckon after the manner of the Jews who were at Jerusalem, neither did they measure after the manner of the Jews, but they altered their reckoning and their measure according to the minds and the circumstances of the people in every generation until the reign of the judges, they having been established by King Mosiah. Now it's interesting as we were going through this, did Joseph Smith come up with this? Could he have devised all of this stuff? So that's an interesting thought. Let's think about that as we get uh, further into this, because uh, you know some people have said Joseph made all this stuff, stuff up. Uh, this is evidence that uh, this is translated material. I'll get into it later. Verse 5, Now the reckoning of the, is thus a senine of gold, a seon of gold, a shum of gold, and a lib, limna of gold, the listing of weights was to show how much an auntie was worth. Alma was bribed with six aunties of silver. So that's what the purpose of this is, is to show the value of the bribe. Did I just spoil that again for those that are not knowing? Okay. A, sen- a senum of silver, an amnor of silver, an esram of silver, and an auntie of silver. A senum of silver was equal to a senine of gold, and either for a measure of barley and also for a measure of every kind of grain. Now, the amount of a seon of gold was twice the value of a senine, and a shum of gold was twice the value of a seon, and a limna of gold was the value of them all. In other words, a limna was worth one senine, one seon, and one shum. Didn't, didn't, didn't that help a lot? And an amnor of silver was as great as two sinums, and an Esram of silver was as great as four senums, and an auntie was as great as them all. An auntie was worth one senum, one amnor, and one ezram. I hope that helped. Now, this is the value of the lesser numbers of their reckoning. A shiblon is half of a senum, therefore a shiblon for half a measure of barley. And a shiblon is a half of a sh- Oh, <laughs> I didn't read that right. And a shiblum, L-U-M, is a half of a shiblon, L-O-N. And a leah is the half of a shiblum. shiblum. Now this is their number according to their reckoning. Now an, an anteon of gold is equal to three shiblons. Boy, I'm, I'm sure glad that they mentioned all this. It sure does help us understand it better, doesn't it? All right, let me read you from Hugh Nibley here. This was the system established by King Mosiah. They had a system which ran in sevens instead of fives and tens or sixes and twelves as the English system does or the decimal system as we use it. It ran in sevens and Richard Smith pointed out it was the best possible system that could be devised. It used the least coins for any necessary transaction. If you want to figure out a system that will use a minimum amount of coins and save you a lot of trouble, this is the system. The Nephite money system was a 1-2-4-7 system in contrast to, to the United States currency is based on a 1-5-10 a system. Use the values from 1 to 9 to determine which system is most efficient That is, which system allows a buyer and seller to conduct business with the fewest bills or coins. For example, to purchase something which costs one, a buyer needs one piece of money in both systems, but for a purchase of two, the Nephite system is more convenient. In fact, for all values between one and nine, only a purchase of five requires less money in the U.S. than in the the Nephite system. So uh, if you have... um, Uh, If you had something that cost five coins of Nephites, you had to use a one and a four or a one and two twos, whereas in America, you just use a five. Uh, Anyway, it's interesting that the system that they use was more efficient than ours. How could Joseph Smith have come up with that? Now it was for the sole purpose to get gain, because they received their wages according to their employ. Therefore they did stir up the people to to riotings, and all manner of disturbances and wickedness, that they might have more employ, that they might get money according to the suits which were brought before them. Therefore they did stir up the people against Alma and Amulek. So since the Book of Mormon was written for us, do you think that this applies to us at all? Is there anything in our societies, anything going on in the world today that sounds similar to this? A lot. Verse 21, And this Zeezrom began to question Amulek, saying, Will ye answer me a few questions which I shall ask you? Now Zeezrom was a man who was expert in the devices of the devil, that he might destroy that which was good. Therefore he said unto Amulek, Will ye answer the questions which I shall put unto you? And Amulek said unto him, Yea, if it it be according to the Spirit of the Lord which is in me, for I shall say nothing which is contrary to the Spirit of the Lord. And Zeezrom said unto him, Behold, here are six aunties of silver. Or the wages of 42 days' worth of work. In our day, this may have been about $30,000. If a judge earns $200,000 a year, um, and all these will I give thee, if thou wilt deny the existence of a supreme being. So obviously this is a bribe to Amulek. Now Amulek said, O thou child of hell, why tempt ye me? Knowest thou that the righteous yieldeth to no such temptation? Believest thou that there is no God? I say unto you, Nay, thou knowest that there is a God, but thou lovest that lucre more than him. It isn't that some members of the faith do not love God. They probably do. They just love this world's goods more. That's from Millet and McConkie. Verse 25, And now thou hast lied before God unto me. Thou saidst unto me, Behold, these six aunties, which are of great worth, I will give unto thee, when thou hadst it in, in thy heart, to retain them from me. And it was only thy desire that I should deny the true and living God, that thou mightest have cause to destroy me. And now, behold, for this great evil thou shalt have thy reward. And Zeezrom said unto him, Thou sayest, There is a true and living God. And Amulek said, Yea, there is a true and living God. Now Zeezrom said, Is there more than one God? And he answered, No. Now Zeezrom said unto him again, How knowest thou these things? And he said, An angel hath made them known unto me. And Zeezrom said again, Who is he that shall come? Is it the Son of God? And he said unto him, Yea. And Zeezrom said again, Shall he save his people in their sins? And Amulek answered and said unto him, I say unto you, He shall not, for it is impossible for him to deny his word. Now Zeezrom said unto the people, See that ye remember these things. For he said, There is but one God, yet he saith that the Son of God shall come, but he shall not save his people as though he had authority to command God. Notice the wording that Zeezrom used where he said, uh, shall, they, shall he save his people in their sins? And we know that that's not true, because uh, they have to repent. He can save them from their sins, but not in their sins. In other words, having unre- not repented. Now Amulek saith again unto him, Behold, thou hast lied, for thou sayest that I spake as though I had authority to command God, because I said he shall not save his people in their sins. I say unto you again that he cannot save them in in their sins, for I cannot deny his words. And he he hath said that no unclean thing can inherit the kingdom of heaven. Therefore how can ye be saved, except ye inherit the kingdom of heaven? Therefore ye cannot be saved in your sins. Now Zeezrom saith again unto him, Is the Son of God the very eternal Father? And Amulek said unto him, Yea, he is the very eternal Father of heaven and of earth, and all things which in them are. He is the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And he shall come into the world to redeem his people, and he shall take upon him the transgressions of those who believe on his name. There is an an important principle which must be viewed properly in order to avoid confusion. There are persons who teach that Christ suffered only for those who will repent. This is false. It is incorrect. The Lord suffered for every soul, yea, the pains of every living creature, both men, women, and children, who belong to the family of Adam. His suffering and atonement are efficacious, however, only for those who repent and come unto him. Thus, to refuse to repent is to mock his pains and shun his sufferings. It is, in the words of Paul, to do despite unto the Spirit of grace. So, like those that will become sons of perdition, uh, having refused the atonement, they put a mockery and, uh, and totally ignore the suffering that Jesus did in their behalf. Continuing verse forty, and these are they that shall have eternal life, and salvation cometh to none such, or to none else. Elder McConkie has written, "We are oftentimes prone to create artificial dis- d- distinctions, to say that salvation means one thing and exaltation another; to suppose that salvation means to be resurrected, but that exaltation or eternal life is something in addition thereto." It is true that there are some passages of Scripture that use salvation in a special and limited sense in order to give an overall perspective of the plan of salvation that we would not otherwise have. These passages show the difference between general or universal salvation that consists of coming forth from the grave to immortality and specific or individual salvation that consists of an inheritance in the celestial kingdom. Since it is the prophetic purpose to lead men to fulfill salvation in the highest heaven of the celestial world, when they speak and write about about salvation almost without exception, they mean eternal life or exaltation. They use the terms salvation, exaltation, and eternal life as synonyms, as words that mean exactly the same thing, without any difference, distinction, or variance, whatever. Verse 41, Therefore the wicked remain as though there had been no redemption made, except it be the loosing of the bands of death. For behold, the day cometh that all shall rise from the dead and stand before God and be judged according to their works. Now there is a death which is called a temporal death, and the death of Christ shall loose the bands of this temporal death, that all shall be raised from this temporal death. The spirit and the body shall be reunited again in its perfect form. Both limb and joint shall be restored to its proper frame, even as we now are at this time. Joseph F. Smith said, Speaking of the resurrection, deformity will be removed, defects will be eliminated, and men and women shall return again to the perfection of their spirits, to the perfection that God designed in the beginning. It is his purpose that men and women, his children, born to become heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ, shall be made perfect physically as well as spiritually through obedience to the law by which he has provided the means that perfection shall come to all his children. Joseph e. Smith also again said, or also said, a little sound thinking will reveal to us that it would be inconsistent for our bodies to be raised with all kinds of imperfections. Some men have, ber- have been burned at the stake for the sake of truth. Some have been beheaded and others have had their bodies torn asunder. For example, John the Baptist was beheaded and, and received his resurrection at the time of the resurrection of our Redeemer. It is impossible for us to think of him coming forth from the dead, holding his head in his hands, our reason says, who, who said that Joseph Felix Smith didn't have a sense of humor? Our reason says he was physically complete in the resurrection. He appeared to the prophet Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery with a perfect resurrected body. Uh, in speaking about the resurrection at the funeral of Sister Rachel Grant, uh, Joseph F. Smith said that the same person in the same form and likeness will come forth even in the to the wounds in the flesh, not that a person will always be marred by scars, wounds, deformities, defects, or infirmities, for these will be removed in their course, in their proper time, according to the merciful providence of God. While he, uh, let's see, President Smith was in full accord with Alm, Amulek and Alma. He taught that the body will be restored as stated in Alma 11, 42, to, uh, which I mentioned in chapter 11 and in in chapter 40. While he expresses the thought that the body will come forth as it was laid down, he also expresses the thought that it will take a time to adjust the body from the condition of imperfections. This, of course, is reasonable, but at the same time, the length of time to make these adjustments will not cover any appreciable extent of time. President Smith never intended to convey the thought that it would, it would require weeks or months or, of time in order for the defects to be removed. These changes will come naturally, of course, but almost instantly. We cannot look upon it in any other way. For instance, a man who has lost a leg in childhood will have his leg restored. It does not grow in the grave, but will be restored naturally. But with the power of the Almighty, it will take—it will not take extended time for that to be accomplished. Continuing back to verse 43, And we shall be brought to stand before God, knowing even as we know now, and have a bright recollection of all our guilt. John Taylor said, God has made each man... Now, the, to, to remember our guilt, thinking about our memories, and sometimes we, we can't remember everything. John Taylor said, God has made each man a register within himself, and each man can read his own register so far as he enjoys his perfect faculties. This can be easily comprehended. Let your memories run back, and you can remember the time when you did such, did a good action. You can remember the time when you did a bad action. The thing is printed there, and you can bring it out and gaze upon it whenever you whenever you please. Man sleeps the sleep of death, but the spirit lives where the record of his deeds is kept. That does not die. Man cannot kill it. There is no decay associated with it, and it still retains in all its vividness the remembrance of that which transpired before the separation by death of the body and the ever-living spirit. Man sleeps for a time in the grave, and by and by he rises again from the dead and goes to judgment, and then the secret thoughts of all men are revealed before him with whom we have to do. We cannot hide them. It would be in vain for a man to say then, I did not do so and so. The command would be to unravel and read the record which he has made of himself and let it testify in relation to these things. And all could gaze upon it. If a man has acted fraudulently against his neighbor, has committed murder or adultery or anything and wants to cover it up, that record will stare him in the face. He tells the story himself and bears witness against himself. It is written that Jesus will judge not after the sight of the eye, or after the hearing of the ear, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity the meek of the earth. It is not because somebody has seen things, or heard anything, by which a man will be judged and condemned, but it is because that record that is written by the man himself, in the to the in the tablets of his own mind, that record Cannot, that cannot lie will, will in that day be unfolded before God and angels and those who shall sit as judges. I'm hoping that there's some editing that goes on uh, as we repent of our sins, uh, that those uh, that there'll be gaps in the tape as they're watching. I'm hoping. Orson Pratt said, In this life there are many things that people, whether righteous or wicked, forget. Our memories are so weak that many things done... And years past are obliterated, but when they come forth in the morning of the resurrection, the wicked, as well as the righteous, their memories will be restored so that every act of their lives, whether good or bad or evil, will be perfectly remembered. And the wicked will have a perfect perfect knowledge of all their guilt. Will, Will not this be sufficient to create an unquenchable fire in their breasts and with recollection to behold the face of the Lord? Will not this cause them to shrink from his presence? I think it will. And the memories of the wicked after they leave this body will be so increased that they will have a bright recollection, Alma says, of all their guilt. Here they forget a good many things wherein they have displeased God, but in that condition, even before the resurrection, they will have a bright recollection of all their guilt, which will kindle in them a flame like that of the unquenchable fire, creating in their bosoms a feeling of torment, pain, and misery, because they have sinned against their own father and their own God and rejected his counsel. And that was in Journal of Discourses. Verse 44, Now this restoration shall come to all, both old and young. Joseph Smith declared that the mother who laid down her little child, being deprived of the privilege, the joy, and the satisfaction of bringing it up to manhood or womanhood in this world, would, would after the resurrection, have all the joy, satisfaction, and pleasure, and even more than it would have been possible to have had in mortality, in seeing her child grow to the full measure of the stature of its spirit. If this be true, and I believe it, what a what a consolation it is. It matters not whether these tabernacles mature in this world or have to wait and mature in the world to come. According to the word of the prophet Joseph Smith, the body will develop either in time or in eternity to the full stature of the spirit. And when the mother is deprived of the pleasure and joy of rearing her babe to manhood or womanhood in this life, through the hand of death, that privilege will be renewed to her hereafter and she will enjoy it to a fuller fruition than it would be possible for her to do here. When she does it there it will be with certain knowledge that the results will will be without failure, whereas here the results are unknown until after we have passed the test. Children will come forth from the grave as children, be raised to maturity by worthy parents, and be entitled to receive all of the ordinances of salvation that even that eventuate in the everlasting continuation of the family. Joseph F Smith said J- uh, Joseph Smith taught the doctrine that the infant child that was laid away in death would come up in the resurrection as a child and pointing to the mother of a lifeless child he said to her you will have the joy the pleasure and satisfaction of nurturing this child after its resurrection until it reaches the full stature of its spirit there there is restitution there is growth there is development after the resurrection from death i love this truth it speaks volumes of happiness of joy and gratitude to my soul thank the lord He has revealed these principles to us. So we know that when a person dies, whether they're an infant or not, that their spirit, which was already full grown before they came to earth, uh, their spirit will be again as it was before they came, a full grown spirit. If a child dies, uh, when it dies, when it goes into the spirit world, the spirit is not an infant. It's a full grown spirit. It's in the resurrection when the body is reunited with the spirit that the body now is uh, is the infant body. And that's what will be raised so that the mother that didn't have an opportunity to watch her child learn to walk after its resurrection, after it's resurrected, it will go through that process of learning to walk, learning to talk and so on. So that the mother will be able to raise it uh, as an infant and watch it grow and develop. What joy that will be. Uh, back to 44. Both bond and free, both male and female, both the wicked and the righteous, and even there shall not be so much as a hair of their heads be lost, but everything shall be restored to its perfect frame as it is now, or in the body, and shall be brought and be arraigned arraigned before the bar of Christ the the Son and God the Father, and the Holy Spirit, which is one eternal God, to be judged according to their works, whether they be good or whether they be evil. Wilford Woodruff said, While I was upon my knees praying, my room was filled with light. I looked, and a messenger stood by my side. I arose, and this personage told me he had come to to instruct me. He presented before me a panorama. He told me he wanted me to see with my eye and understand with my mind what what was coming to pass in the earth before the coming of the Son of Man. He commenced with what the revelations say about the sun being turned to darkness, the moon to blood, and these stars falling from heaven. Those things were all presented to me one after another, as they will be, I suppose, when they are manifest before the coming of the Son of Man. Then he showed me the resurrection of the dead what is termed the first and second resurrection. In the first resurrection I saw no graves nor anyone raised from the grave. I saw legions of celestial beings, men and women who had received the gospel all clothed in white robes. In the form they were presented to me they were already been raised from the from the grave. After this he showed me what is termed the second resurrection. Vast fields of graves were, open, were before me and the Spirit of God rested upon the earth like a shower of gentle rain. And when they fell upon the graves, they were opened, and an immense host of human beings came forth. They were just as diversified in their dress as, as we are here, or as they were laid down. Verse 45, Now behold, I have spoken unto you concerning the death of the mortal body, and also concerning the resurrection of the mortal body. I say unto you that this mortal body is raised to an immortal body, that is, from death, even from the first death unto life. That they can die no more; their spirits uniting with their bodies, never to be divided, thus the whole becoming spiritual and immortal. They that can, that they can no more see corruption. Joseph Smith taught concerning resurrection: flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God or the kingdom that God inherits or inhabits, but the flesh without the blood and the spirit of God flowing in the veins instead of the instead of the blood. For blood is the part of the body that causes corruption. Therefore, we must be changed in the twinkling of an eye, or have have to lay down these tabernacles and leave the blood to leave the blood vanish away. Blood is the corruptible part of the tabernacles. Um, Joseph Felix Smith said, after the resurrection from the dead, our bodies will be spiritual bodies, but they will be bodies that are tangible, bodies that have been purified, but they will not. But they will nevertheless be bodies of flesh and bones. They will not be blood bodies. They will no longer be quickened by blood, but quickened by the Spirit, which is eternal, and they shall become immortal and shall never die. Verse 46. Now, when Amulek had finished these words, the people began again to be astonished, and also Zeezrom began to tremble. And thus ended the words of Amulek, or this is all that I have written. Again, Mormon is abridging uh, Amulek's words here. Now Zeezrom, the fact that he's beginning to tremble here means that he's thinking about what Amulek has just said and he's actually going to begin the repentance process. The fact that he's trembling means that he's being worked upon by the Spirit and so he's going to be uh, in a process of repentance here very soon. I bear testimony to the truth of these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hope to see you again next time.